Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. Learning and Tongue of the Chaldeans. Chaldeans and Babylonians are essentially one and the same. Let's look at a few of these. Isaiah 13. Isaiah 13, verse 19. And Babylon, the glory of kingdoms, the beauty of the Chaldees. Look at Isaiah 43. Just to establish this connection between Babylon and the Chaldees. 43 verse 14. Thus saith the Lord, your Redeemer, the Holy One of Israel, for your sake I have sent to Babylon. I have brought down all their nobles and the Chaldeans whose cry is in the ships. Uh, Look at 47 verse 1. Come down and sit in the dust, O virgin daughter of Babylon. Sit on the ground. There is no throne, O daughter of the Chaldeans. And then uh, you can also see it again. And we'll just go at 48, chapter 48, right next door. Let's go ahead and look at it. 48, verse 14 and verse 20. Verse 14, all ye assemble yourselves and hear, uh, which among them hath declared these things. The Lord hath loved him. He will do pleasure on Babylon, and his harm shall be on the Chaldeans. And then it's repeated in verse 20. Now come back to Daniel 5, and let's see it in, our, in the context of our, of our study. Daniel 5, and let's look at verses 30 and 31. And that night was Belshazzar, the king of the Chaldeans, slain. And Darius, the Median, took the kingdom, being about threescore and two years old. And then, if you look with that in mind, flip over to Daniel 9, and verse 1. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, the seed of the Medes, which was made king over the realm of the Chaldeans. So, Babylonians and Chaldeans, they are the same people. Um... You don't remember all that? Okay, the unblemished looks and skills of the chosen Hebrews. The men who were chosen were picked based upon certain criteria. Number one, 
I'm, I'm going to give you a list here. So if you want to write the list down, that's up to you. Number one, they were of the king's seed and the prince's. This fits the prophecies we have just, we just read about in, in 2 Kings. Number two, they had no blemish and were well favored. We now live in a time when being fat, ugly, weird, and weak are considered good. Nebuchadnezzar wanted Hebrew children without blemish and well favored. So you get no, you know, though the world, especially the Western world, is trying to, a portion of them are trying to move in this weird direction. In life, you are rewarded based on merit. That's the reality. You are rewarded based on taking care of yourself, looking well, dressing decent, working hard, uh, um, applying yourself. I mean, it's, you, don't get, you don't get merit for, for, um, <laughs> for nothing, but that's what a large portion of the world wants. They want, you just give me stuff and just, just accept me for who I am. No, I'm not going to accept you for who you are. What if who you are is a dirtbag? <laughs> I'm not going to accept that. <laughs> There's nothing acceptable about that. You want to be fat, sloppy, and, and lazy? That's not acceptable. What is there to accept about that? Well, you just, you know, God loves us for who we are. No, God doesn't love us for who we are. He had to kill his son in order for you to be saved. He doesn't love you for who you are. And then he told you everything about you is wrong. You need to do it better. <laughs> All right, so, so it's an ungodly idea. Um, Nebuchadnezzar said, when you bring those guys in my kingdom, in my house, they better have no blemish. All right, now, I wouldn't be among them. <laughs> I have too many blemishes, but um, that, that's what the king was looking for. Number three, skillful in all wisdom. They had to be wise, not immature and unruly. Nebuchadnezzar had no place for rebellious and unwise fools. And these young men displayed a level of maturity that Nebuchadnezzar found acceptable, especially the four. Uh, number four, Cunning and knowledge. They had to be intelligent. So being dumb doesn't get you anywhere. So don't be dumb. The way you fix being dumb is you go and you, you learn. Apply yourself. Study. Read. Uh, don't, don't just sit around and talk to a bunch of guys on a boda. <laughs> Eating jackfruit and... and Doing nothing with your life. <laughs> oh, sorry. Did that go too far? <laughs> it is not good. It's not a good thing, or it, it is a good thing to educate yourself in goodly knowledge. Read, study, become well informed. Don't don't go out and repeat the gossip. Learn something. Know the facts. So when someone says, well, I don't agree with you, so you're not disagreeing with me, you're disagreeing with factual information. There's a big difference in my opinion versus your opinion and your opinion versus the facts. That, that makes a big difference. All right, so, so learn. Number five, understanding science. Now, the world thinks that Christians hate science. That's wrong. Christians don't hate science. We hate science so-called that is fake science, otherwise called fairy tales. <laughs> uh, there will never be a conflict between true science and the Word of God, but there will always be a conflict between science so-called and the Word of God. Uh, Brother John Omonying 
is building a road in front of the church right now, right? That's science. That's real. When he's done, we can drive on it, and it'll last, I don't know, John, he's got some people helping him. I don't know how long it'll last, but it'll last a long time. Evolution is not science. The idea that a creature, this, this odd creature, turned into another, a completely different genetically, an, an, an entirely genetically different creature has never been demonstrated once in the history of the world. It doesn't exist. Now, what they'll say is, well, you need billions of years. <laughs> okay. No, you need billions of years. <laughs> because if that were the case, you would, you would have all these, these different life forms and different stages of evolution, and you don't have any of that. It doesn't exist. It, 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 evolution has been demonstrably disproven emphatically, repeatedly, there is no reason for anybody to continue to, to, to believe it. But universities, it's, it's the foundation of their religion. And they, they cling to it the way you cling to God. Now, they, they are starting to, it, it's, they're having a harder and harder time defending it, so they are starting to let go a little bit. But it's going to take generations to get that garbage out of universities and out of schools and out of your medical industry and out of everything, you know, um, biology and everything else, everything that's important. If they would start with the presupposition that there is a creator. Now from there, let us try and, and establish science. They'd get, they'd get much further. They'd go a lot farther. They'd do much better, but they don't want to do that because if you say there's a creator, he might have a say in how you live. <laughs> and these intelligent, highly established um, doctors they can't have that. We will not have this man to reign over us. So, number six, ability to stand in the king's palace. Look at Daniel 1. Daniel 1 and verse 19. And the king communed with them, and among them all was found none like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore stood they before the king. Now, has anybody here ever stood before the Kabaka? You've, you've gone, in what capacity? Like, were you just at a place where he was speaking, or you went in to stand before him and address him directly? Right, so, you know, to go in before a king, it's, it's a big deal. And... There's an order and a way that you present yourself, and you have to do it, and you have to do it correctly. Now, I don't, the kings that still exist in Uganda, I don't know to what extent they have power to put you to death or to do something like that, but if you messed up in front of Nebuchadnezzar, there, there would be no debate. There'd be no appeal to the Supreme Court. There'd be no, like, you're dead. That's not how you were taught to do it. You can't stand before the king. Throw them in the fire. It's over. So this is, this is you know, the, the, the young people of the current generation want to stand before kings because it's cool. <laughs> With no merit. They, they want to be elevated to high places and, and lifted up and thought well of, though they've accomplished absolutely nothing. That's not how life works. You've got to apply yourself. You've got to learn. 
You've got to approach people respectfully. You've got to approach people properly. You've got to, you've got to treat people properly. If you're going to get into something like standing before the king of Babylon, you've got to learn how to do that and do it the right way. And so it was a requirement that they had the ability to stand before the king. Um, many of our brethren despise this idea. They confuse boldness with being rude and disrespectful. Daniel was pretty bold. All right, now, I, I don't know if we'll have time for it, but just something, just food for thought while we're here. Um, I, you know, I, I don't know if I'll get to do this study in this class or not. I may do it on the podcast down the road. But there, there's, there are two key figures in the Bible to, to think about when it comes to standing before a king. All right, so you have Daniel who is often characterized with using wisdom when he stood before the king. Now, he always told the truth, but he was very kind. He was very respectful. He he, he told them the truth, even though it it could have got him in trouble, but he was very careful how he did it. Well, then you have John the Baptist. He took a very different approach. <laughs> you should not take that woman as your wife. Put him in the prison. <laughs> All right, so Daniel, wisdom, John the Baptist, just unbridled boldness. Both are correct. Neither one is wrong. But both have consequences. And you are subject to those consequences. And God may not come get you out of the lion's den. He didn't get John the Baptist out. All right, so I don't think you can say one is right and one is wrong. What I can say is that they both have very serious consequences. Choose carefully. It's not wrong to approach to approach someone with with wisdom and tact and respect. But it's also not wrong to go and rip their face off as long as you're telling them the truth on behalf of God. Both took place in the Bible, but both are going to come with very different consequences. Daniel didn't get thrown in prison. John the Baptist did. Daniel didn't get beheaded. John the Baptist did. Both were right. (laughs) So just, just be careful. And uh, approach those things carefully. Now, number seven, who could be taught the learning and tongue of the Chaldeans? It is only natural to assimilate to the country you move to, especially if you choose to move there. Now, Daniel didn't have a choice, but, but he also didn't have a choice whether he assimilated or not, but he was going to. The king's purposes here was likely twofold. First, these men would serve and work in his palace. He wanted them to speak his language and understand the lifestyle of a Chaldean. Second, the Chaldean lifestyle came with certain ideologies, religious influences, and fidelity to the king of Babylon. Thus, these young men were essentially being brainwashed to remove the Israelite influence and to help them conform to life as a Chaldean. Now, just a quick one more note about knowledge and learning. You should do everything you can to learn all you can, especially the younger you are. You you should pour as much knowledge into your head as you can the younger you are. 
The older you get, when you get into, say, your mid-20s, you need to start to narrow the knowledge, but keep learning. Begin to specialize in something, but learn everything you can. Master it. All right, so, so as long as you can, you should learn as much as you can. The more you learn, the greater a tool you can become for the Lord. Christians have come to the conclusion that stupidity is a desired virtue. The more knowledge you possess, the greater opportunity to witness to a larger group of people. It is not helpful to be dumb. But somehow we, we've got this idea that there, there's a portion of Christianity. It's not everyone, but there's a portion of Christianity that believes you should be poor and be dumb to be spiritual. I have no idea where you'd get that from. Now, you also don't want to go too far in another direction and place too much of an emphasis on intellectuality, on being intellectual and highly intelligent. If you just sit somewhere in the middle, read, devour books. You should read everything you can get your hands on. Learn from it. Now, filter it through, 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 the, through the Bible. Make sure it's, it's correct, it's right. Don't just adopt everything that people say. When you read a book, you should be arguing with that person. You should not just be accepting what they say in the book. You should be arguing with them. Is this true? Is this right? Does that work? Does it apply to everybody? Does it not apply to everybody? If it doesn't apply to everybody, then it's not likely that it's not true. And when somebody tells me, I have my own religion, okay, well, then what you're saying is that it's useless. Because if it doesn't help everybody, then, then there's no truth to it. It's just something you made up. Right? God's word helps everybody everywhere if they would apply it. All right, so... so Learn. Don't be dumb. Learn. All right, Daniel, chapter 1, verses 5 through 7. Verse 5, And the king appointed them a daily provision of the king's meat, and of the wine which he drank, so nourishing them three years, that at the end thereof they might stand before the king. Now among these were the children of Judah, Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah unto whom the prince of the eunuchs gave names, for he gave unto Daniel the name of Belteshazzar, and to Hananiah of Shadrach, and to Mishael of Meshach, and to Azariah of Abednego. All right. The king's daily provision. This daily provision was somewhat problematic for the Hebrews. It would not meet the dietary laws required of the Jews, and therefore eating the king's food would result in breaking God's commands and defiling oneself. The problem here is that the king's provision was more of an investment of which he expected good returns. <laughs> that puts you in a very difficult spot. <laughs> I don't want to eat your food because I have a religious predilections. You better eat or I'm going to kill you. <laughs> Looks good. <laughs> uh, but the, these four Hebrew boys are going to take a stand. Um, he was not feeding these men out of the kindness of his heart. He fully expected them to serve him well and according to his required customs. This places the Hebrews in a very difficult situation. Either defy God further and risk the anger turning, his anger turning against you even more, or defy the king and risk his anger turning against you. <laughs> Who are you going to fear? The king or the God? Well, what does the Bible tell us to do? You're not supposed to fear men. You're supposed to fear him who can destroy the soul and the body. Right. Now, I'm going to pray you never get put in this situation. 
and hope that you never have to make such a choice. But you should be ready in case things change drastically in Uganda over the next, say, 10, 15 years. So it's just something to think about. Neither option is very good, but this is where the wisdom of Daniel proved great, and he will handle the situation with tact and respect. Now, the period of investment was three years. These young men had three years to learn and grow. After that, they would be evaluated and allowed to, to, to remain or removed, depending on the results. At the end of three years, they went before the king, and all was, was as we will read, all was well. He was very pleased with the, the with the four Hebrew boys in particular. Now, they were given Babylonian names. In order to further facilitate conformity, the Hebrew captives were all given Babylonian names. Daniel, which means God is my judge. That's what his name means. His name was changed to Belteshazzar, which means Bell protects. Look at Daniel 4, 8. Verse 8, but at the last, Daniel came in before me. Now, this is Nebuchadnezzar speaking, all right? But at the last, Daniel came in before me, whose name was Belteshazzar, according to the name of my God, and in whom is the spirit of the holy gods. <laughs> and before him, I told the dream and, and saying. So, so Nebuchadnezzar is telling you there, this is Daniel, who I named Belteshazzar, and I named him after my God. Right? That's, that's the point. That's the purpose here. Hananiah, which means Jehovah is gracious, was given the name Shadrach, which means command of Aku. All right, so you'll see little portions of the name of the God they're named after in their name. It may not be exact, but it's going to be, you'll, you'll, you'll kind of see it intermingled in there. It's more pronounced with Nebuchadnezzar and Nebo and uh, Belteshazzar and Baal. Um, Mishael, Mishael, which means who is like God, the, the real God, the true God, was given Meshach, which means who is like Aku. Azariah, which means Jehovah is my helper, was given the name Abednego, which means servant of Nebo. Now, Nebo, there's, there's two ways that his name is pronounced. You have... Nebo and Nego. So if you look at uh, Bed Nego, so his, his name is, is on the end there. Um, it is interesting that Hebrews, as bold as these four, did not take a stand regarding their names. I mean, they took a stand in other places, but they did not fight the name change. I, I think that's very interesting. This seems to indicate that the names just don't matter, but other direct commands from God must be obeyed even in Babylon. As Christians, we tend to get caught up in trivial battles that really have no effect on our ability to serve the Lord. The name people call you does not matter if you fail to attend church or witness. Christians will stand against haircuts and then participate in paganism. All right, so should you have a haircut that is Christ-like? Absolutely. Um, but you should learn to choose and pick your battles more carefully. 
We, we, we like to fight over things that don't matter. Now, God clearly commanded these people, you do not eat certain foods, and you do not eat them if they've been offered to false gods. They, that is unbelievably clear. That is, that is directly given in the, in the Word of God. Their parents gave them their names. So, do I want my name changed? Do I, do I want to be captured by some Islamic group and given an, an Islamic name? No, I don't. But that's not the battle you should be fighting. <laughs> right? So, so you just you want to choose your battles wisely. There is biblical precedent regarding names. Look at Esther chapter 2. Who does Esther serve under? Does anybody remember? Anybody? Anybody? Huh? Ahasuerus, who is a Persian king. He is part of the, the, the kingdom of the Medes and the Persians. Uh, what did I say? Esther chapter 2, verse 7. And he brought up Hadassah. That is Esther, his uncle's daughter, for she had neither father nor mother, and the maid was fair and beautiful, uh, whom Mordecai, when her father and mother were dead, took for his own daughter. Look at Genesis 41. Genesis 41 and verse 45. And Pharaoh called Joseph's name Zaphnath-Paneah. Now, nobody calls him by his Egyptian name. We call him Joseph. But Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. <laughs> Somehow those slip the mind. We don't say Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. We, we say the other ones, but... Um, these two went on to do great things with the Lord's help, and they did not get caught fighting arbitrary battles. Changing their names did not change their hearts. In fact, it may have served to strengthen their resolve. Now, four things Babylon tried to change about the Hebrews. Now, you want to look at this as a picture. So you have Babylon, which is a picture of the world. So, so you have the world and you have Christianity. And, and we're in this battle to change people. Right? When you, come to, you become a Christian, don't you change the way you talk? Change the way you dress? Change the places you go? It's, it's a massive cultural change. The difference is it does happen through some level of indoctrination, but, but the reality is it happens through your yielding yourself to the Holy Spirit. I'm going to teach you the Bible, but you still got to go do it. I can't make you. The world wants to force you. You know what? There's a ton of pressure on Uganda right now to be friendly to homosexuals and transgender people. Now you're starting to see videos and things coming out of transgender people. There was a debate recently on Ugandan TV between a pastor and a transgender person. Trying to make it acceptable in Uganda. If it's on your television now being debated, it will be part of your culture in 10 years. Uganda will accept it. So will Kenya. So will Tanzania. They're hard against it right now. But when YouTube and Google and, and 
all these tech giants and politicians start hammering on your countries, your people will give in. Because they're too busy watching, looking at Facebook, watching YouTube, listening to stuff they shouldn't be listening to. It influences you. It makes you feel, that's what television did in America. At some point, the people who had control of television and movies said, you know, we could use this to help influence people. Up until like 2009, homosexuals were less than 1% of the American population. It was a tiny little fraction of people. Now it's like 6 7%. And you're talking about 330 million people. 6 or 7% is a lot. Right? So, so it, it, it just, it's, it's a snowball. It just starts rolling and it starts building. And if you don't, you're not careful where you set your eyes, you're not careful what you're listening to, you're going to be influenced by it. And so there's a battle, there's a race. Who's going to win? Well, we're at a disadvantage because all I can do is teach you and then leave you to make the choice. The world has the economies, the, the television, the movies, the internet, to bear down on you and shame you if you don't do what they say. And, and that's what they'll do. So number one is their education. Come back to Daniel 1. I'll tell you the verse, but let's just go back to Daniel 1 quickly um, so that we're there and we can press on. All right. No, number one, their education. That's Daniel 1.4, 1, the learning of the Chaldeans. Number two is their speech. Also, Daniel 1.4, the tongue of the Chaldeans. Number three is their diet. That's Daniel 1.5, the food of the Chaldean king. And then finally, their names. That's Daniel 1.7, assigned names according to the Chaldean gods. All right, Daniel 1, verse 8. But Daniel, here we go. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's meat, nor with the wine which he drank. Therefore, he requested of the prince of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. This is incredible. Um, The direction of our lives will start from the purpose in our hearts. In 1 Kings 5, Solomon purposed in his heart. To build the temple. In Acts 11, 19 through 24, um, that with purpose of heart they would cleave to the Lord. Romans 8, 28, according to his purpose. Proverbs 20, 18, every purpose established by counsel. So, so that th- this is the point, this is the idea. You can get this list when, when I send you the notes. Um, if you don't have a purpose, which which doesn't come, it doesn't come to you magically. You've got to sit down and resolve in your heart and mind, I belong to Jesus Christ. I am subject to the word of God. I'm going to live accordingly. Come what may, this is my life. This is who I am. I am going to purpose to live out this book to the best of my ability. And if you don't make your mind up ahead of time, and that pretty girl comes by or that handsome guy comes by or these rich people show up or this opportunity shows up or that job that would take you out of church shows up or the king comes and says you're going to, eat, you're going to do something that, that requires you to defile yourself, then you're just going to go with it. 
Like, well, you know, I don't really have a choice. The king said to do it. You do have a choice. It comes with consequences. It does. You're not going to make a decision and not suffer the consequences. Praise the Lord. God used Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael the way that he did. But that may or may not happen for you or I. We might end up with John the Baptist. We don't know. But it's right to stand with God and to stand for the truth. And so, Lord, help me, that's what I'm going to do. Now, up to this point, we are learning of all that is happening to, these, to this first wave of Hebrews taken captive. They had their names changed, their education changed, their language changed. But here is where they will, they will take a stand. They take a stand because it will put them in direct violation of God's word. Their language, their secular education, their names, these are not battles they were prepared to fight. Consider the risks. Uh, they would likely lose their lives taking these sorts of stands. So it seems they waited until something came up that is in direct violation of God's word. When they finally decided to take a stand, they were unbelievably respectful. I think too often, and I am guilty of this at times, we often, we often, we confuse being brash or rude with being bold. Being bold is required, but there is sometimes this area of finesse that combines tact with boldness. You can be bold and respectful. And that's what Daniel was. Daniel is someone that, that greatly challenges my mentality, my approach to life. It forces me to have to rethink some things. I hope it does the same to you. Daniel was unbelievably respectful and careful. And yet it was, it was a bold move that accomplished his purpose, which was to honor God even in Babylon. One of the greatest motivating factors in life is purpose. When we purpose in our hearts to do something, that is, it becomes a central point of focus, suddenly life takes, a new, takes on new meaning. Purpose begins to define the direction of your life. If you have no purpose, if you are not actively engaged in something worthwhile, then life will be empty and meaningless. Service to Christ is the greatest and most fulfilling purpose one can have. If you purpose in your heart to serve the Lord, then everything in life becomes a means to that end. Everything becomes, the, the, the reason everything else exists is to help honor and glorify Jesus Christ. You become hyper-focused on Jesus Christ and the Word of God. You begin to greatly value the souls of lost men and women. You begin to esteem your brethren in Christ higher than yourself. It will transform your family, your work, and literally your life. If Daniel does not purpose in his heart to remain faithful to God, the book ends right here. Daniel refused to follow the course of this world. He refused to defile himself. Because Daniel separated himself unto his God, the, the Lord, Daniel, the Lord used Daniel in a mighty way. Daniel demonstrated fidelity to God's law and faithfulness to, to God himself while under the greatest of pressure in Babylon. Daniel 1.8 begins a principle that I believe is key or the key, a key or the key to the Lord's blessing. And we, we mentioned it briefly last week, but, but let's, I'll read this to you quickly and you can read about it more when I send you the notes. As we progress through the chapter, we learn that Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah were given special favor in the eyes of their enemies. 
And they were given a heightened ability from God to learn and understand. But this special favor they were granted and their ability to learn and understand seems to be connected to their willingness to discipline their bodies. The book of Daniel seems to make this connection between a willingness to control oneself and receiving certain blessings from God. Can you imagine if Daniel was granted this favor and wisdom, but had had not the ability to govern his flesh? He would have been a monster. It is not enough to receive favor and wisdom. If you are unwilling to control yourself, you will become a force of evil with God's blessing. And you don't want to do that. Everyone wants this level of blessing from God, but too few people are willing to give up much of life's excesses and monetary self-indulgence to receive this blessing from God. The diet itself was not the key. It is common today for people to try the Daniel diet, <laughs> but it wasn't necessarily the food he chose to eat. So that, that's, you're not going to go eat lentils and end up like Daniel. That wasn't the point. You'd be surprised. You know, you can go to America and go in a grocery store, and there's a, there's a bag of bread there called Ezekiel's bread. I hope not. Does anybody know what was in Ezekiel's bread? Yeah. Dung. Now... They didn't put dung in Ezekiel's bread on the shelf, but they still feel the need to call it Ezekiel's bread because it just has this spiritual connection, you know. It's not the lentils that helped Daniel. It's the fact that he was going to bring his body under control and eat beans for three years just so he could please God. It was God's blessing as a result of Daniel's willingness to be faithful. That's the key. A young man who was offered the world's plenty denied himself in order to please God. Daniel's chosen diet was an opportunity. It was a small battle in the larger war to separate from this world and live for God. This level of separation really has become trivial in modern Christianity. Christians look at what is accepted by the world, and then they look at what has been accepted by Christians more broadly Based on what they see in those two areas of life, then they decide what they think I can get away with. They don't look back and say, no, God said like this. They say, well, God said this. The world's doing that. And most Christians are doing this. So if we kind of find some middle ground between all three, but then we can kind of still make God happy and we can still kind of make the world happy and we can still kind of make our brethren happy who, who, who have given themselves over to worldliness. <laughs> You're a triple-minded man. Now, God said that about a double-minded man. I don't know what happens to a triple-minded man. It just, it's not going to work. Either give yourself over to the Lord or go, go, go join the world. But don't sit somewhere in the middle on the fence pretending like you're you're holier than thou and noble because you can get along with a bunch of reprobates and you know some of the Bible. That's not how it's going to work. Then they convince themselves their life and practice is justified, not based on Scripture, but rather based on the fact that they are not quite as bad as the world and other Christians are doing what they are doing as well. So their behavior is then acceptable in their, in their minds. 
That is exactly the attitude that got Judah taken into 70 years of captivity by their own God. Then when someone who refuses to participate comes along, it's, it's really not fun being that person. <laughs> but we need a lot of people to be that person. Then when someone who refuses to participate comes along, they are despised. Like Jeremiah, they are ridiculed and pressured into submission or silence. The one place I never thought this would happen was amongst independent Baptists. But now I'm convinced that independent Baptists were practicing cancel culture long before the progressive left ever began. So as individuals, you will have to decide if you are prepared to go with the crowd and accept everything they do, or if you are willing to stand with the difficult truths of God's word. You better purpose in your heart ahead of time which one it's going to be. Because it's not going to be easy if you're going to try and take the, the, the strict road of fidelity to God. This can be difficult because you have to remember that harming your brethren is not the goal, even though they will not like what you have to say. But standing for truth is the goal, despite my brethren's willingness to go along with lifestyles and practices that they have a biblical responsibility to shun. Daniel requested from the prince of the eunuchs that he might, be, he might not be defiled. If the prince of the eunuchs had said no, I believe the other examples of the faithfulness of these young men in the face of trouble demonstrate that they probably would have taken this point to death. So a lot of people ask, what would happen if, if Ashpenaz or uh, what's the other guy's name, Melzar, uh, if, they said, if they said no, what would happen? Well, when Daniel was facing the lion's den, he didn't back down. And when the other three were facing the fiery furnace, they said, we are not careful to answer you in this matter. Um, you do what you have to do. So it looks to me like they are very respectfully saying, would you please give us this opportunity? And if they said no, then they probably would have said, I'm sorry, we're not going to eat your food. Uh, we understand what comes with that. You do what you have to do. Now, we don't know for certain what the consequences would have been, but the prince of the eunuchs was terrified of losing his own head. What would have happened to the Hebrews? Daniel, Mishael, Hananiah, and Azariah were willing to peacefully follow the Lord even unto death. You will see these men meet together and pray in times of trouble. They did not riot in the streets or form a militia to take on the government. They just obeyed God. And were willing to receive the consequences of their choice to be faithful. Because of that attitude, the Lord used them mightily to impact the most powerful kingdoms in the world. Now, the term defile himself. Look at Leviticus 21. Daniel purposed not to defile himself. Leviticus 21. Let's look at the law and see what he was referring to. Let's read verses 1 through 7. And the Lord said unto Moses, Speak unto the priests, the sons of Aaron, and say unto them, There shall none be defiled for the dead among his people. But for his kin that is near unto him, that is, for his mother and for his father and for his son and for his daughter and for his brother, and for his sister a virgin, that is, nigh unto him, which hath had no husband, for her, for her may he be defiled." 
But he shall not defile himself, being a chief man among his people, to profane himself. So to defile is to profane. Verse 5. They shall not make baldness upon their head, neither shall they shave off the corner of their head, nor make any cuttings in their flesh. They shall be holy unto their God, and not profane the name of their God. Now, how, and what, what, in the context, what would be causing them to profane the name of their God? Not doing what he said here. According, according to God, you are defiling yourself and you are profane. Right? That, that's, that's how the two terms are used in the passage. Okay, now look at, um, look at Ezekiel chapter 4. Ezekiel's in captivity. Let's, let's see how he handled this. Ezekiel 4. And let's read verse 13 and 14. And the Lord said, Even thus shall the children of Israel eat their defiled bread among the Gentiles, whither I will drive them. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, behold, my soul hath not been polluted. For from my youth uh, up even till now have I not eaten that which dieth of itself or is torn in pieces, neither came there abominable flesh into my mouth. So here you have Ezekiel. The Lord said, the prophecy is, I'm going to strip you out of your land, send you into a foreign land, and you're going to eat defiled bread. Ezekiel said, Lord, I have not done it. I have not eaten defiled bread. Neither did Daniel, neither did Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. They, they, they all stay faithful to the Lord. So, um, all right, back to Daniel 1. Daniel 1 and verses 9 and 10. We'll try to get through this section tonight and finish up chapter 1 next week. Early next week. Verse 9. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and tender love with the prince of the eunuchs. And the prince of the eunuchs said unto Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who hath appointed your meat and your drink. For why should he see your faces worse liking than the children which are of your sort? Then shall you make me endanger my head to the king. Daniel was not only tactful and respectful, but also had God's favor on his side in this matter. I again believe this favor was a result of Daniel's willingness to restrain his diet in such a way to honor God. That, that again, it wasn't the food itself, it's the personal discipline that I think that, that, that God was recognizing. In other words, he was willing to govern his body after a godly sort and as a result, God could trust him to be favored by his superiors. Daniel had favor with the prince of the eunuchs, but he did not take advantage of it. He was still very careful, and he was selective regarding which battles he intended to fight. We cannot approach life as an all-out war on everything, but we do need to carefully fight battles that are clearly outlined in Scripture. In every situa situation we compromise, it causes some level of mental, emotional, and spiritual degradation to our soul, individually. Eventually, all of the little decisions add up, and we find ourselves far from God, deep into the course of this world. Likewise, one godly decision after another add up to a victorious Christian life. It's the little things, staying faithful to the little things on a daily basis that add up to either a life of, of rebellion and, and reprobate or a faithful Christian life. 
Look at Nehemiah 1. Nehemiah chapter 1. Nehemiah takes place after the captivity. Ezra and Nehemiah take place after the captivity. Nehemiah chapter 1. And again, Nehemiah is serving before a Persian king. Let's read verses 4 through 11. And it came to pass when I heard these words that I sat down and wept and mourned certain days and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven and said, I beseech thee, O Lord, God of heaven, the great and terrible God that keepeth covenant and mercy for them that love him and observe his commandments. Let thine ear now be attentive and thine eyes open that thou mayest hear the prayer of thy servant, which I pray before thee now day and night for the children of Israel, thy servants. And confess the sins of the children of Israel, which we have sinned against thee. Both I and my father's house have sinned. We have dealt very corruptly against thee, and have not kept the commandments, nor the statutes, nor the judgments, which thou commandest thy servant Moses. Nehemiah was faithful to pray. Uh, Nehemiah is the cupbearer for the king of Persia. But he was shown favor when he afflicted himself and poured his heart out in prayer to God. I really believe this level of favor and blessing are strongly connected to those of God's people who discipline their bodies and bring it under control. Look at Ezra 7. And let's read verses 9 and 10. For upon the first day of the first month began he to go up from from Babylon... And on the first day of the fifth month came he to Jerusalem according to the good hand of his God upon him. For Ezra had prepared his heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do it and to teach in Israel statutes and judgments. Now, it sounds to me like that man has a purpose. What is your purpose? What is your point? What is your goal? What is your aim in life? What are you here for? Uh, Ezra prepared his own heart to seek the law of the Lord and to do what it says. As a result, God used him mightily. The Bible says Ezra was a ready scribe. That's, that's, that's a blessing. All right, this brings us again to the question of government obedience. The Lord himself sent these men into Babylonian captivity for the purpose of chastising them. But they had a choice while in Babylon, and we have a choice living in whatever pagan land we live in. Obey the government and and all that they ask, that's Romans 13, unless it violates God's word. That's the boundary. They change your name, okay, they have the power. They, They force some form of education on you, okay, whatever, uh, you know, you, you have that power. Uh, you're not going to church anymore. I'm sorry. Uh, that's where I have to draw the line. Uh, I, you're, now you're asking me, you know, you want to you teach me some weird stuff about <laughs> transgender people and people with green hair and all this other garbage? Whatever. Okay. Yeah, I, I'll learn it, but I'm not, I'm not going to live it. All right? You want me to not go to church? You want me to not pray? You want to take away my King James Bible? I'm sorry. You're going to have to arrest me. I'm not going to fight you. I'm not going to form a militia. We're not going to go disband the government. But I'm not going to obey that command because that command is in violation of God's word. 
And so that's the level of detail you have to choose these battles with, with or against government. You don't fight the government just because you don't like something. If what they're forcing you to do is not unbiblical, God says they have the power to do it. So just appease them. But when they cross the line into forcing you to violate God's word, now we've got a serious problem, and, and that I can't do. All right. The word of God is extremely consistent in this, and the book of Daniel is one of the best examples of governmental obedience until the time comes to be defiant. And their defiance came in the form of respectful refusal. Eat the king's meat. Give us pulse instead, please. Uh, Bow down to the golden image. I'm sorry, we will not bow down to your image. No prayer for 30 days. Daniel prayed just as he always had, knowing the decree had been signed. Each of these instances reveal a group of young men who knew the consequences of their actions but they were willing to suffer those consequences in order to honor God. God made them no promise that he would intervene on their behalf. They knew that God could, but they did not know if he would. Now, I do forewarn you, if you take a stand, it will be your your own family or your own brethren who try to break you. It will be people close to you who try and convince you not to do it. But you've got to seek the will of God in accord with his word and do that. They will be upset with you if you do not compromise just a little where they have. If you try and hold a higher standard, you will be surprised who will come come and try to convince you to lower that standard. You can imagine what they must have said to Daniel. We live in Babylon now. We have to do things differently. It's okay. You can eat the food. We're not in Jerusalem. Daniel said, God said, I'm a Hebrew. I don't eat that. I'm not doing it. I'm going to try to respectfully handle this, but if they won't help me, come what may. I understand. You'll have to make up your mind if you're going to stand or compromise. Now, Ashpenaz feared the king, but Daniel was steady. Um, Proverbs 29, 25 says, The fear of man bringeth a snare. Daniel didn't fear men. Ashpenaz had good reason to fear, but Daniel put his trust in the Lord. Putting your trust in the Lord will put you in the safe position, but it does not mean you will be shielded from trouble. These four Hebrew boys demonstrate that they trust God wholeheartedly, but they still went through much trouble. They were saved from fire and lions, but they were also physically made eunuchs. They were all slaves in Babylon, living life God's way, in the safe, which is the safe way to live. But it does not mean you will, not, you, will have, you will live life without trouble. We need to learn to depend upon God through the trouble, not to prevent the trouble. And that's where the confusion comes in. We think our dependence on God is going to stop the trouble. And that's not how it works. Our dependence on God helps us through the trouble. They weren't taken out of Babylon. They were taken down to the fire and thrown in. But the Lord helped them get through the trouble. That's the hard part. And it's all fun and games to talk about it when you're not 
staring down the king of Babylon. <laughs> but then when he comes knocking on the door, it's like, I'm eating the food. <laughs> it's okay. <laughs> Never mind. <laughs> I'm bowing. <laughs> it becomes very serious very fast. All right. We'll pick up in verse 11 next week. The rest of this will go pretty quickly. Uh, we, the heavy part was getting through all that introduction and um, the introduction and the, you know, just, just understanding how Judah came to be in this position. And uh, we got through all that. that. That took a lot of heavy reading. So it should move pretty quickly from here until we get to chapter 2. Then we got a lot to talk about in chapter 2. So we'll finish up in the first, hopefully the first half of class next week in Daniel 1, and then we'll begin chapter 2. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.